Right. We do really encourage uh, the couples to make it a priority. Uh, just a great opportunity just to get away and uh, build into your marriage as well as get close to the Lord. And you do get your own individual cabin. So this is not bunk beds with everybody else. You get your own individual cabin, and it's a great, uh, great experience. And so if you're interested about that and you don't... You, you, you're not sure you can find my wife after the service, just put the word retreat on the back of uh, your card and we'll get information to you as well as the, the life groups. You're not sure how to sign up, you can't find Bill, just put the word life or group and we'll get you more information about that. Well, before we get in God's word, uh, I just want to give you an opportunity to be uh, thinking about uh, just what we've been going through as far as a nation. We just finished a political year and probably as much if not more than any other time of... Um, our history, uh, there was an, an avalanche of information that people were giving us in terms of who we ought to vote for, who we ought not to vote for. And if you were tracking it all, you discovered that as people were giving out information, all that information wasn't necessarily true. Oh, you got it right off. And uh, I, don't know, I, I was reading an article this past week, and it's called Fake News, and probably maybe you've been hearing that. It's been getting a lot of airtime recently. Uh, but there are people who uh, sometimes people get out of information and they think it's true, but it's not true. That can be that perspective. But then there are other people who are giving out information and they know when they're giving it out, it's not true. They're giving out news stories and it's now had its own label, fake news, uh, because they're just trying to capture people's attention. And you wonder, well, why are they doing that? Are they, are they just trying to deceive people? Well, some of them might be, but if you go down and follow the path at all, you find out the reason they're doing it is because of the what? Because of the money. Because if they get enough people on their internet site or website or whatever they're placing out there, they get advertising money. And so they get, they get income for the express purpose of grabbing people's attention to believe what they're reporting. And so as we think about the importance of being in the know, and I think everybody likes to be in the know, and that's one of the reasons why gossiping is such a kind of a deceiving activity, because no one wants to be outside what everybody else knows about. But we have to really understand that knowing something doesn't mean that what you're knowing is actually true or factual or accurate. And we've started a series as we begin the new year in 2017, is that we want to know the truth. To know the truth, you have to have information, but we want that information to be accurate and trustworthy. And so we're going to a reliable source, this book, and particularly we're going to a book, uh, one of the Gospels, and all the four Gospels are true, but particularly Luke, as he writes, he, he wants to capture people's minds and, and tell them right in the beginning, I am writing this for the express purpose, God's inspiring me, uh, but I'm giving it for the express purpose that you might know the truth, and then he modifies that or qualifies that, the exact truth about all the things you've heard or been taught about Jesus. So this morning we want to continue on that, and we, uh, we really trust it's not fake news this morning. It's, it's not uh, something like Scientology that can be debunked because if you get into the information about them, you find that that's a strange way to live your life. But we're going to a source that, that's not uh, a secret. There isn't, you know, some people know some things behind the curtain that other people uh, are not uh, privy to find out about it. Well, what we're going to be talking about is things that you can read about and then for your own uh, uh, conscience sake and your own mental uh, peace of mind to discover, is this really true or is this, or is this fake news? Uh, so before we do that, let's look at the Lord in prayer and then we'll jump into what God has for us this morning. Let's pray together. 
Our Father, we ask on this day as we desire to know the truth that we might, we might understand, first of all, what you have said and then wrestle with it to, to come to that point, do we really believe it? And then if we really believe it, are we going to do something with it and follow after it? And Father, I pray today as we, as we again continue on and just hearing about the story of Jesus, that we might recognize that everything's important, that you have given us the privilege to hear or to read about. And Father, I just pray you might take our minds and our hearts and then later on our hands to, to take what you give us and, and use it for, uh, for living out the, the life you have planned for us to live. And we ask this in Christ's name, amen. I've entitled the message this morning, it, it's, uh, it's about the truth, what is the truth about the young Messiah? And there was a movie that came out fairly recently, The Young Messiah, I don't particularly encourage you to watch it, there's nothing particularly wrong in it, not, not everything in it is particularly accurate. I don't think there was necessarily a deception going on, but there was some license given to what we do know or don't know about Jesus. But, but the truth about the young Messiah is something that, that we need to recognize, that God has given us a record. And we've just uh, finished the Christmas season, and particularly in a couple of the Gospels, there's a significant amount of detail about the, the beginning of Jesus coming to this earth as God invaded history, and God became a man, and he was birthed as a little baby. But we have maybe some questions of, well, what is, it, what is it we know about the early years of Jesus? Well, this is what we're going to try to look at this morning in a, in a brief way, and then try to make some applications as far as what we do know or do not know about the early years of Jesus. So if you have your outlines, it'll help you follow along as we look at what, what do we know about the young Jesus. And, and right in the very beginning, I want to say this, what we know about um, uh, the young Jesus is very little. We know very little about the young Jesus during his early years, and let me just make a, a statement, and, and that's okay. Uh, sometimes we're, we're fascinated not only with what we do know, but what we don't know, and we're always going after that which maybe is not available to us. And God has planned for us not to know necessarily every detail about his early years. And, and there's reasons for it, and we're going to look at it in a moment, but, but I want you to understand that, that God has given us everything that we need to know about the Son of God who came for us. But why is it that we don't know everything? Well, in Deuteronomy 29, 29, we, we realize that only really God knows everything. Would we, would we admit to that? I mean, we don't have the capacity to understand everything that is even available to us. And the things that aren't available to us, only God knows everything. And in uh, the Old Testament, we have this verse. The, the secret things belong to the Lord, our God. But the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever, that we may observe all the words of this law. And so as we think about the things that we do know, those are the things we're accountable for. And sometimes it's a good reason not to know everything, because the more you know, the more you're, you're responsible for. And the other aspect as we think about the secret things of the Lord belong to the Lord is there's some things we don't have the capacity to understand. Uh, you remember that, some certain classes that you couldn't teach a young child that you might be able to teach a, a high schooler, or, and some things you could teach a high schooler, you might have to wait till they get to college, and some things even beyond that, they, they, you still don't understand, because that's not maybe your aptitude or your, your intellect as it relates to a particular subject. Well, there are things in this universe that only God understands, but what we do have is enough for us to, to follow after his plan, and that's really what it means to, to observe his law. But what I'd like to do is, is give you kind of a, a quick overview of the early years of Jesus, what we do know. And if you've ever looked at some sources that try to put the, the, the story of Jesus together, they're, 
Sometimes they're called the harmony of the Gospels, and when they take all four Gospels and they try to match the verses together. But as you match the verses together, you realize that there's only certain significant events in the early years of Jesus that we know about. And so I want to run through that really quickly. In Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, we have the account of Jesus being born. And so this is, this is, this is going to be pretty simple, but we, we have the birth of Jesus, where the miraculous hand of God took Mary, and the Holy Spirit created a life within the womb. And, and so this little baby Jesus has half the chromosomes of a human, Mary, and the other half of the chromosomes was created by God himself, the Holy Spirit. So we have the birth of Jesus. And then in Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, we, we have uh, the, kind of the celebration of that. They have, we have the angels showing up, and they're, they're announcing the news, and then the shepherds come, and, and they get to see the baby Jesus. But then we kind of have a gap, and most of our understandings of what happens next. For a good little Jewish boy, and we need to understand that Jesus was, was a man, was a little boy, after eight days, a Jewish boy gets circumcised, and we find that in Luke chapter 2. And there was a period of time in which God had given out certain purity laws for the mother of the baby. And after 40 days, he goes to Jerusalem, to the temple. And they offer up a dedication of that young child. The firstborn was to give a dedication to God. And there's a longer history behind why that was. You had the Levites that were to be those who would serve God as as priests and worship, and the, and the first child was given from all the other families to, to say, we should give you in service, but we're dedicating you and giving an offering as those others, uh, other tribes, serve in a vocational way. And, and so you, you have Jesus as a young little child, 40, maybe 48 days or 40 days old, and, and a couple of people give testimony concerning his identity. And you have the story of Simeon. And Anna and Simeon comes out, and he had been given the promise that he would not die until he saw the Messiah. And then you had Anna, who had been in the temple uh, for most of her adult life, and that in her 84th year, when the baby Jesus comes, she comes out of, of the temple area and gives praise to God. And so you have these, these, these human instruments that give testimony to this little baby as being more than just like any other baby uh, in all of Jerusalem. But, but then there's a gap, and, and then we were, what happened to the Magi? What happened to the wise men? Well, if you, if you go back uh, to Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, we, we have the story of the Magi, and they show up a little bit later. And one reason we know they, they show up a little later, because he's no longer in the stable, though most of our nativity scenes kind of have the, you know, some of those wise-looking men there. But he's now in a house. And so probably it's now a couple months later, and the Magi show up, and, and, and they present very precious gifts to this one they worship as the king, the king of Israel, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And as we think about the early years of Jesus, we need to recognize that, that Jesus, and we find out later, and we're going to be seeing this in our series in the account of Luke, giving us all the majesty of who this Jesus is is that Jesus, Jesus was born into a family that was extremely poor. And as we think about Jesus being, identifying, being able to identify all that we might go through, we, we need to recognize that Jesus not only was born in, in, in a humble location, but he was born into a family with humble means. 
And the reason we know that is that when they went to Jerusalem in those first 40 days or 48 days, depending on how you add those days up, uh, they, they gave an offering. It was two turtle doves. And the reason they only gave two turtle doves is because they couldn't uh, afford a, a lamb. They, they had to give that, which is probably the, the cheapest way to express their love to God because that's all they could give. And in reality, that's what God wants from us, to give him all that we can give, not what we can't give. And so the Magi come, and in the midst of them, all of a sudden, they're surrounded with richness, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and, and God sovereignly brought that in because as the Magi were revealed through an angel that they were not to go back to Herod and to go back to the east, Herod got so angry that he came back to Bethlehem and he slaughtered all the male children two years and younger. And I, I don't know where that phrase, overkill, remember, you know, sometimes, that's kind of overkill. It might have started with Herod. Because Jesus was only a few months old. But making sure that somehow he could, he could take any threat to the throne, his throne, he killed every male child that was two years and younger. And, and so as we think about the world that we live in that's filled with evil, it's been filled with evil since that first sin. And Jesus was brought into a world in which there was heartache and pain and ruthless leaders. And God had warned them that they had to leave Bethlehem and to go into Egypt. And so they took the means, which they did not have before, the gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and they, and they went in to this land away, fulfilling prophecy. And we don't really know how long they were there, but actually, if you, if you chronologically look at the life of Herod the Great, Herod the Great died the year that Jesus was born, just months after he slaughtered the children in Bethlehem. So probably in just a few months' period of time, they came back from Egypt. And then we, we know nothing about Jesus from a few months old, maybe six months old, till he turns 12. So let's pick up the account of Jesus at 12 and see what we learn about Jesus during his early years. And I just want to make this, this comment right now. Luke covers 18 years of the life of Jesus in 15 verses. So we, we know very little about the life, early life of Jesus because that's okay because God reveals to us what we need to know. And what we need to know from his word is enough. In Luke chapter 2, we have the account, in verse, beginning with verse 40, these words. Now his parents, referring to Jesus, went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. Now that was one of the three festivals that Jewish men were required, if it was at all possible, to observe uh, in Jerusalem. And the feast of the Passover, if you had to miss the other two, this is the one you needed to go and observe. And when he became 12, they went up there according to the custom of the feast. And depending on how you look at it, a, a young Jewish male uh, t became an adult at 12 or 13. So this is a time where he's now coming not just as a, a child, but he's coming as a, an adult or soon-to-be adult. And they went up there according to the custom of the feast. And as they were returning after spending the full number of days, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents were unaware of it. But suppose 
him to be in the caravan and went a day's journey, and they began looking for him among their relatives and acquaintances. Now, just think about it for the moment. Have any of you ever lost anything? I didn't ask you if you've ever been lost because that's a, kind of a heart-rendering <laughs> story for me. But have you ever, have you ever lost anything? You know, we, we got the normal things. You can't find your keys in the morning. You know, you can't. Um, it, I used to wear glasses, and sometimes I'd have, I couldn't find my glasses. You know where they were? You know, on top of my head, you know. I mean, you can't, you just, you can't, there's something you need. Maybe it's a, a, a very important paper, or, you know, fill out your taxes, you can't find it, or whatever it might be. And then sometimes, here, here's the humbling story. Have any of you ever lost one of your children, like at Disneyland or some other place where you just couldn't find them? Okay. You know, that, that's kind of a heartbreaking situation. But just think about, it. You've, uh, you've, you've been given Jesus. Can, can you imagine losing Jesus? I mean, <laughs> I mean what? Uh, God, I uh, just want to let you know uh, something happened. Uh, we were in Jerusalem, and I've lost Jesus. I have no idea where he is. And, and you think about this, well, how did that happen? Uh, you know, not only have I been lost many times, I've lost many things, and, and I have lost people. Okay, I, uh, I, I used to coach a lot of sports, and I remember uh, at the end of one season, usually you have this after-game party, and we went to a pizza place, and uh, we had two vehicles, and so, uh, you know, we finished the pizza party, and, you know, you know, told all the kids how great they were. They were. We all lied, you know. But anyway, told them how great they played all year. And so, uh, and so, then we were leaving, and um, uh, we took. You know, I took the kids in my car, and the other coach took the kids in his car, and and we got back to uh, the place where we lived, and we started counting heads again. We go, someone's missing, and we had left them at the pizza place in another city. Now, of course, that wasn't my fault because he was supposed to be in the other person. No. And we all go, well, I thought you had him. I thought you had him. I thought you had them, right? And, and see, this is how it happened. And, and you look at the life of Jesus, you look at the Word of God, it, it really it just paints life just how, how we experience it. it. Is when they were going from Nazareth, which, by the way, not only was Jesus born into a poor family, he was, he was really living on the other side of the tracks. You know, he was on the side of town. He was in the part of Jerusalem in Israel where people didn't really come out of who amounted to anything. And so they had taken this journey into uh, Jerusalem, and, and they, they, it was a kind of a caravan. The, the, the whole, whole town kind of went out. And, and the way it went, went is that you had the women and children, you know, went first, and then you had the, the men and the young men, you know, come second. And so they were kind of two different areas. Well, Jesus was, you know, at 12, so he was kind of, well, is he a child or is he an adult? Anybody have kids where you're wondering, are they a child or adult yet? Okay, well, and so it was so natural to think, well, I thought you had them. No, I thought you had them. And it took them, kind of interesting, it took them three days to figure it out. So then they had to go back a day, and then they had to figure out, and they searched for him a day, and then, you know, they kind of came back. Well, well, they got back, they, they where is he? And if you've ever, ta- uh, during Passover, that whole place swells up. It just, it's like being at the Rose Parade. It's, there's people everywhere. Now, some of them had already left. We don't know if, if they stayed the whole festival period of time. It could have been a little bit less. And so they began searching. Well, wh- where do they find him? Uh, verse f- uh, 45. Uh, when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem looking for him. And then after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking him, him questions. So here you have Jesus in the temple, which would have been a a logical place for him to be because they had probably already seen he had, he had a hunger and thirst for the Word of God. He had, he had a hunger and thirst for spiritual things. And so he was at the place just to discover more truth. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. 
they often would teach in the temple and in the synagogues uh, in a kind of a, a dialogue format where someone would say something and someone would respond. And then someone would uh, then ask a question and another pe- person would answer their, their question or inquiry. And so as they began to do this, all of a sudden Jesus began to speak up and he began to, to have an insight to spiritual truth and to, to questions that would baffle other people's minds. And they began amazed at him at, even at that age. Verse 48, and when they saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, Jesus, why have you treated us this way? Uh, so... The natural thing for us all when, when we mess up is we like to do what with other people? We like to blame them, right? The reason you're lost isn't because I forgot you. It's because you hid from us. Um, not exactly Mary's greatest, you know, time. Behold, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. And then he said to them, Jesus, why is it that you were looking for me? Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house. Now, probably what he was speaking to is that when you got there, it took him a day to find him, is that why didn't you look here first? If I somehow wasn't at the caravan because you left me, when you got to Jerusalem, why did it take you a whole day? The reason it took you a whole day is you didn't really think about it. And you could also imply you didn't pray about it because this is where you should have looked first. But he makes an amazing statement. He said, I'm about my father's business. So he wasn't referring to Joseph at this point. He's referring to God, his father. And what was unique about how he said it is that no, no Jewish person would ever refer to God as their personal father. They might say our father, but never that personal father. And it says in verse 50, but they did not understand the statement which he had made to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth, and he continued in subjection to them. And his mother treasured all these things in her heart. So when we look at the early years of Jesus, they didn't quite understand fully who Jesus is. And Mary, who probably had a better clue than anybody else because of the miraculous birth, even she didn't fully understand about this miraculous one who came out of her womb. But she took the collected truth and over these periods of years began to treasure it in her heart and to say, I need to understand just who is this Jesus? And isn't that really the fundamental question for all of us as we think about Christianity? Just who, who is this Jesus? In fact, Jesus, he, he asked his disciples after he'd done all kinds of miraculous things, well, who do, who do men say that I am? And they would respond with a variety of different answers. And then he would point to them, well, who do you say that I am? We really need to discover who who this Jesus is. But to know who Jesus is, we need to understand, we're going to see it in a moment, that we need to understand him in his fullness. Because an amazing thing is described in verse 52. And Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Somehow Jesus in his early years... He didn't just plop out of the womb as, as one who was doing everything that we see him when he started his public ministry. He grew. And why did he grow? Because we need to understand that Jesus is more than just a, a fanciful story about someone who, who, is, who always did miraculous things. And that's, that's the danger of sometimes looking at films like The Young Messiah because you see Jesus doing miracles. 
There are some apocryphal stories about Jesus, even when he was going to Egypt, that, that uh, have you ever had parents brag about how quickly their, their kids walk and, and talk? And my kid talk, you know, walked when they were eight months old, and my, my kid could read the encyclopedia when, when they were 11 months old. You know, it, you, know, is it, you, know, you begin to wonder, well, you know, was Jesus that way? I mean, there, there are apocryphal reports about that, you know, they kept the swaddling clothes of Jesus, and when they went to Egypt is that, you know, Jesus one time placed the swaddling clothes, very young, being able to walk and do this, is to, on a demon-possessed man, and he was instantly delivered. There are other stories is that it's a very dangerous place to go into Egypt, and so they, 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 they invented the story about Jesus, even his presence, as the robbers would come, they would flee because Jesus was there. There were other things that Jesus would walk through villages in which there were pagan idols. And when he walked through them, they would instantly disintegrate. But we know in God's word that the Bible says that Jesus didn't do his first miracle until he was at the wedding in Canaan and turned the water into wine. Because whatever we know about God, we know this, that God does his, his, his works according to his time. And so we don't have to invent stories about Jesus to make him more amazing than he already is. Well, who is this Jesus? We know what we know about Jesus is enough, but particularly of his early years. But the truth is, we know who Jesus was before he got here. And that's what's awesome. You know, we're fascinated. What, what, what was he like between age zero to twelve, and then we don't know anything there, and then twelve to, to thirty, and we don't know anything there. But we do know something even predates that. Because the Bible declares very clearly that before Jesus landed here on this planet, that he was fully God. In John's gospel, he says this, In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And all things came into being through him. This little baby that came and arrived here when we celebrate at Christmas. He, 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 didn't, he didn't just come into existence then. He's the second person of the Trinity. He's the Son of God. And He has always been God. He is the Creator. The Bible says in John 1, 14, And the Word, who was with God and was God, and through Him all things came into being, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. In John chapter 5, verse 18, Jesus made reference after doing a variety of different things. He said, and he called God his father. He's my father. And immediately when he made that claim, it said all Jerusalem who heard that realized what he was doing. He was making himself out to be equal with God. So there's no place for us. I mean, there are people who marvel at, at the life of Jesus and the words of Jesus. But if you somehow reduce him just to be a great teacher, a great rabbi, you miss what he claims and what the Bible claims, that he is fully God. And if that's true, it doesn't get any better than that. That's awesome that, that God became a man. And so 
we need to understand he has always been God. He's been distinct but co-equal and co-eternal with the Father and the Spirit. You know, even in Genesis, it says that as in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And then the next verse is, and the Spirit hovered over all that was created. The Holy Spirit was involved in creation as well, just like the Son. And in Colossians chapter 1, we don't have time to look at it. In Colossians chapter 1, it says that, that in, and in chapter 2, that in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And because of that, that he needs to come to be first place in everything. Now, do you fully understand that? Do you understand the Trinity where the Bible describes God as one, but within the Godhead there are three persons? Fully God, but distinct, equal, and yet different. I can't wrap my mind totally around that. But the reality is, you can know something without fully understanding it. And I think we could illustrate that over and over again, just even the natural parts of life. We, we can describe wind, but we can't necessarily understand everything about wind. And Jesus made that analogy. He talked to Nicodemus when he came to him in John chapter 3. And so as we think about the truth about Jesus, the truth about Jesus is something that's been revealed that we can't fully understand it. He is fully God from the very beginning. But also I want you to understand is that the truth is we do not know, the truth is we do know that Jesus was not only fully God, but he was fully human. And here, interesting enough, in our era, what most people wrestle with is, is Jesus God. But in the first centuries after Jesus was on earth, what they struggled with more than anything else was he fully human. There's a, whole, there's a whole philosophy that struggled in that first church, docetism, which is, well, Jesus wasn't really God. He just looked like he was. I mean, he wasn't really human. He just kind of looked like he was human. And if you miss the humanity of Jesus, then you don't have a true Jesus. And how is that illustrated so many different ways? Well, you know, Jesus, as we've already read in Luke chapter 2, verse 52, he, he grew being human. He grew in wisdom. What does that mean? He grew mentally. He grew in stature. He grew physically. You know, we don't know how tall Jesus was, but I'm sure he was taller when he was 30 than when he was one day old. He grew physically. And as we understand in his humanity, he also, he suffered being human. Next week, Lord willing, we're going to look at the temptations of Jesus. And you can't have Jesus being tempted unless he's human. You, you can't Jesus really identifying with everything we go through unless he's human. You, you can't have a Jesus that really suffered unless he's human. In, in Luke chapter, I have in your outline, we're not turning all these passages because of time, but in, in Luke chapter 22, 43, and you need to add really 44 to that. It said in, in the Garden of Gethsemane, this is right before he went to the cross, that he was praying desperately that if it be any other way, he's praying to God the Father that this cup would be taken from him. And his, his prayer was so fervent that, that he was suffering to the point where God brought down an angel to strengthen him. 
you know, why does anyone need to be strengthened? Because at that point, you're weak. And then it goes on to describe in verse 44 in his prayer that he, that he was in agony. Now, can, can, can God be filled with agony? Not, not, you know, God is all-powerful and almighty. But as a human, you know, Jesus in his prayer prayed so fervently that he, he prayed and, and blood came out of his pores. And think about this for a moment. If, if Jesus wasn't fully human, how could he die? In Luke chapter 23, it speaks about Jesus saying that he gave up his spirit to the Father. In 1 Corinthians 15, it says, this is a first important that you realize that Christ died for our sins. Now, if you've studied the Islamic faith at all, you realize as they wrestle with the understanding of who God is, they believe is, as we do in similar ways, that there is only one God. They call him Allah. And as they come in, understanding of what we pre- present as truth about who God is. They, they, they get the concept that we believe in a trinity, and many of them under- misunderstand what we even state as a trinity. They think it's God the Father, uh, God the Son, and the Virgin Mary. But the, the reason they reject Jesus as God, though they see Jesus so much more powerful than even Muhammad in terms of that he was sinless, but the reason they can't believe that Jesus is God because when he went to the cross, how could God die? And that makes sense, doesn't it? Unless Jesus is fully human, he could not die on the cross for us. And as we think about falling after him, how, how isn't, you know, sometimes when we, when we look at living out the Christian life and, we, and we're supposed to follow Jesus and we look at how Jesus responds or acts in certain situations... And we're amazed by that and maybe say, well, you need to act like Jesus. And, you know, that sounds really good. Maybe it's kind of a Sunday school answer you hear at church. But then we, all of us in the back of our minds say, well, you know, I can't really act like Jesus because Jesus is fill in the blank. He's God. I mean, how can you expect me to act like God because I'm not what? I'm not God. But we, we missed the whole point. When Jesus was here... This is a whole nother message, but let me just throw it out in, in, in a Reader's Digest form, is that everything that Jesus did, he did in total dependence upon the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who was, who was available for us to lead out his life. If you understand the scripture, what Jesus did when he came here, he gave up the independent use of his divine attributes. Which means that whenever he went through something, he did it through the power of the Spirit, not the, sp- the power of his own flesh. So in 1 Peter chapter 2, when it says that we're to follow after his example, we follow after his example not as he is God, but as he was a human depending upon God in his life. And that's where you always see Jesus praying. Why, why, would, why would God need to pray? Because when he was here, he modeled dependence upon him. Let me put it another way. Uh, you know, sometimes we look at, at Jesus as one of the, 
you know, the, I always forget if it's the DC Comics or Marvel heroes or whatever it might be. But, you know, uh, sometimes we look at Jesus being Superman. And, and we actually, we see, we see in his deity, he's Superman. And in his humanity, he's, what's the other one with the glasses? And you put him in a, in a he's Clark Kent, right? Now, that, that seems to fit until you just think through it a little bit. And I can never figure out why people couldn't recognize that that was really Superman, with, and all he did is put his glasses on. Anybody have a problem with that? But anyway, so, so, you know, we think, you know, when he's Clark Kent, if someone were to bump into him or maybe, you know, slap him on the back or, or do something, you know, try to, you know, that, he, that he, would, he would experience pain, right? Because if you hit somebody, you know, and if you were Clark Kent with your glasses on, well, they probably hurt. Well, when he had his glasses on and someone hit him or bumped into him, did it hurt Clark Kent? The answer is no, because he's Superman. He's just, he's got, he's got glasses on. It didn't change his, his ability to experience uh, pain. He didn't have to put the cape on to fly. He could have flown in a suit, right? And, and we kind of think that Jesus was Clark Kent. He didn't have to struggle with anything. You know, Jesus was fully human. Every pain that we went through, the poverty that he experienced, the words of rebuke, the scourging, the, the people refusing to believe, the, 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 the name calling, the, the statements that you're an illegitimate child, you, you don't even know who your father really is. Those are words that, that Jesus experienced. And if somehow we lose the humanity of Jesus, we don't really see the amazement and the marvel of who he is. That God truly became fully human for us. Real quickly. The truth is that we know very little about Jesus' early years, but that's okay because we know enough. The truth is, we know about Jesus before he even came here. He's God. That's awesome. But the, the truth is, we need to understand he's both fully human and fully God. And that's essential. If you only have Jesus God, then you don't understand the Jesus of the Bible. Same way, if you only have Jesus being fully human, you don't understand the Jesus of the Bible. He is fully man and he's fully God. And as we're going to see just briefly, we need to understand that that really the, the identity of Jesus was fully revealed at his baptism. Let me just read three verses and then kind of wrap this up. In, in Luke chapter 3, just the, again, the cryptic story of this in the words of Luke. It doesn't give all the details. It says, now when all the people were baptized, Jesus also was baptized. And while he was praying, heaven was opened. And the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came out of heaven. You are my beloved son, and in you I am well pleased. And when he began his ministry, Jesus himself was about 30 years of age, being as he was supposed, the son of Joseph, the son of Eli, and then goes on his genealogy. And we're only going to touch this this morning. And probably just leave it here. Jesus was willing humbly for 30 years To not manifest all that he could be and to live as an ordinary person in Israel. 
he worked probably in his father's carpentry shop or something as a, as a, as a bricklayer. And he just humbly served other people. Even though he realized that he was God of gods, but he was also fully a human. And their plan was not to unveil all that he was until in a public way with the one who was preparing the way for people to hear the truth. That in a miraculous identification with with those whom he came to save, who are sinners, he, he was baptized. And to reveal fully who God is and that which we can, we can believe and not fully understand. You had the Son of God in the waters of baptism. You had the Spirit descending as a dove. And you had the voice of the he- from the heavens, the Father saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And you know what's amazing about that? The Father was pleased with the Son and the son really had not done anything as of, as of yet. He had performed no miracle. He, he, had, no, he had preached no sermons. He, he had not gathered any followers. All he had done is what he calls us to do and to be, just to, to obey God's word, to, to live out what he knew was true of God's plan for his life. You know what? I really like this definition. You know what faith is? You know, faith is, is not, faith is your assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. That's what the Bible says. But in a practical, you know what faith is? Faith is simply taking God at his word and obeying it. And that's what Jesus did for 30 years. That's the young Messiah. He took God's word and lived it out in obscurity, and God was well, the Father was well pleased with him. And so you have the testimony of the Spirit, you have the testimony of the Father, you have the testimony of the genealogies, which are fascinating if you, if you study the genealogy of Mary in contrast to the genealogy of Joseph and Matthew, and how God meticulously gave Jesus the, the human uh, prophetic truth of the prophecies fulfilled uniquely in him. So what's the point this morning? Uh, yeah, God has something for our, our head and our heart and our hands. As Jesus emerges on the scene, fulfills all prophecy, lives out the life in a sinless way that, that John, even as he sees him, says, there's no reason for me to baptize you. You haven't sinned. Is that God wants us to come to that point in our own lives that in our own heart and mind, are we convinced who Jesus really is? That he's fully human and fully God. That, that is the most important question you're going to answer in all of life. Who do you see Jesus is? Is he fully God? Is he fully human? Can he do everything that he's promised to do? And can we trust in someone who understands everything that we have gone through because he came to be one of us? Are you convinced in your mind of who Jesus really is? That's, that's what this whole gospel is all about. Secondly, in fact, I'll just throw this in. What, what God has said is that, what some have said, that as you look at the Gospels, the Gospels are more than just histories. They're, they're really apologetics. They're here to convince us of who Jesus is. Secondly, looking at your heart. Are you content that, 
that only God understands everything? We, we could have belabored the, the first couple points, but it's always been true that we are not going to know everything this side of eternity. And that bothers us, particularly in this information, information age. We want to know everything about everything. But c- can you trust that as you face this next week, and I know some are facing surgeries on cancer, some people are facing uh, issues related to financial reversal, some people are wondering about you know, where they ought to uh, spend uh, the rest of their life in terms of location. Some people are, are struggling with parents going through difficult things. Uh, we, we don't know what's next. But can you, can you be content that God knows? And then thirdly, because of who Jesus is, because he has set the example, can you be compelled to follow his example? To, to live out the life no matter what you face. Because what you want to experience is what he experienced. The testimony from God the Father that, that we're his children and he's well pleased with us. Let's pray. Father, we, we pray that we might be just open to what you've told us that is true about Jesus. And Father, wherever people are in their spiritual journey today, we pray that they might make, make that step. May it's their mind and heart and head today that today's a day they are convinced that Jesus is who he claimed to be, fully God, to come to save those who are lost. And if they embrace you by faith, you'll change everything. For some of us, we need to be content because we're facing things that we're not, we're not sure what's going to happen next, but, but we know that you do. And maybe some things this week you want us to live out if we really believe in you. Might we live out by faith following your example. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.